This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Hello, my name is Chelsea Jewett, and I am here interviewing Jack Hardy. We feature the Cayuga County, New York Oral History Project. When and where were you born? The goal is to learn as much as they can. Do you have any siblings? And to talk to as many people as possible. This is Alexis Rivers interviewing Danielle Bergen from Lahaina, Hawaii. Oral histories like this one are the key to our past, present, and future. Coming up in this episode of Colors. You, the listener, the thoughts and comments you've sent us over the years since we started this podcast in 2020. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. hallmark of the Colors podcast is a section called Reflections on Race, where we have people give us their name, their ethnicity or race, and where they're from, and some thoughts about, well, whatever they're thinking about. Well, today, on this program, an entire show of nothing but that. Very little me, just that. Starting now. My name is Aya Sadiq. I am Middle Eastern. I'm Palestinian. I have a light complexion and green-colored eyes. Some would say I even look Caucasian. So often, I blend in with white Americans. It's the moment I begin talking that people realize I'm not from there. Where are you from, they ask, a question often too complicated for me to answer. And although I'm originally Palestinian, I almost always settle with, I was born and raised in Dubai. A part of me was afraid of saying Palestine. As a Muslim Arab in a post-9-11 world, I knew I needed to be aware of how I could be perceived the second I decided to come to the United States. This was an America where fascists and white supremacists and Islamophobes reigned the country. Every time I was asked where I was from, I felt as though it came with the intention of strategically categorizing me into this hierarchical system of power based on skin color and identity. To me, that is America. My name is Jarena Thomas. I'm an African-American woman living in Washington, D.C. I am optimistic about most things, but when it comes to the issue of racism in America, admittedly, I'm pessimistic. I think racism is based on lack of exposure and inherent biases, which can be overcome over time and in different settings. But in the short term, I think that a lot of people will lose their freedom and their lives before we get to that point. My name is Fonda Mwangi. I'm black, I'm from Southwest Michigan. Race in America is this omnipresent hierarchy, the status quo of the way things are. And my parents immigrated to this country from Kenya 
And one of the things my mom told me when she got to this country is she noticed that her identity shifted. Before she was anything else, she was black. Before she was a daughter, before she was a mother, before she was a woman, that was now the most prominent part of her identity. And I think race in this country is exemplified in a way that it really isn't anywhere else. My name is Lily Quiroz, and I'm a Mexican-American living in Washington, D.C. When I first saw the video and murder of George Floyd, I was angry and sad. And what I'm doing now is educating myself and my family so that the system we live in doesn't treat people unfairly and so that they don't have to continue living in fear. My name is Siwan Lee, and I'm Korean-American. My parents immigrated from Korea, and I was born in the U.S., just south of Seattle, Washington. When I think of race and racism in America today, I'm truly heartbroken by what I've seen, stories that have been shared with me, and recently what my children and I have experienced, being targeted with racial slurs based simply on what we look like. I'm sad that it's come to this to remind me how real racism is in America today. I'm Stephanie Gaines Bryant, a news anchor for WTOP Radio. I'm also a wife and mother of four and an African-American woman. I wrote in a recent column for WTOP.com that I fear for my three sons. I wrote that I worry that their unalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness will be stripped away by a gunshot or a chokehold administered by police officers who don't believe that all men are created equal. I pray that where George Floyd's breath ended, the breath of justice begins. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. I am Carlos, and I live in D.C., but I am originally from Venezuela. The past couple of weeks have really questioned my belief in police and law enforcement in this country. I think when I look back, I gave too much trust to the organizations and the uniform, and that police enforcement, uh, police and law enforcement are not as trustworthy as I originally uh, imagined. I'm Tiffany Arnold. I'm African-American, and I'm from the Midwest. I'm actually not surprised that what happened happened. Um, My father is a black police officer, and, you know, we've been talking a lot about what's happened lately. And it's not that there's a resurgence in violence against people of color. It's just that there's more cameras. You're listening to Colors, a dialogue on race in America. My name is Lars Sindis. I'm an Indian Jamaican living in the United States for the last 25 years. I am a naturalized American citizen. The issue of race has been at the forefront of my existence from whence, as far as I can remember. And it cuts across all bounds. It's not just a white thing. It's a global thing. Even in Jamaica, there are levels of racism in our society, even though you may think that Jamaica is 98% non-white. The problems of racism, the implications of racism exist in our society there. But it's not as bad as here in the United States, where it is overt, it is blatant, it's in your face. It's pretty much everywhere you go. My name is Adam Carter. I am 
White, and I am from uh, South St. Paul, Minnesota. It is a suburb of St. Paul. Based on the events that happened uh, during the previous administration when we had uh, black men die at the hands of white police officers and the unrest we saw, uh, nothing really has changed after those deaths. And now with the current administration and the divisiveness in this country, it is something that I think somebody could have seen coming. Now, did we know that it would be on this scale that uh, the reverberation of George Floyd's death would have an impact not only uh, in the U.S. but around the world? I don't think so. My name is Sherry Jackson. I'm an African-American in Birmingham, Alabama. Race in America is this opportunity presented to each generation to get it right. As a journalist early in my career, I can remember covering a story on hospice in Bald Knob, West Virginia. Our crew met at the home of an elderly white man who was dying of lung cancer. I interviewed his nurse, then him. He told me that through his illness, he found Christ and forgiveness because he said, there was a time I would never let anyone like you in my house. I remember thinking how deep his hatred for people who look like me must have been that here he was practically on his deathbed taking pride in the fact that he let a black woman in his house. Today, I wonder about his children and his children's children. Did he pass down a blessing or a curse? He'd found Christ and forgiveness? My name is Diane Butts and I live in Washington, D.C. I'm the mom of two young adults, black men in America. I worry about their safety every day as I have since they were born. The Black Lives Matter movement that launched a few years ago has taken on new meaning following the death of George Floyd. It coincided with COVID-19, and that means more people have gotten involved. The revolution looks different to me now, with people of all colors, ages, even corporations and sports teams standing up for the cause. I'm hopeful now that change is coming for my sons and for all of us. I'm Liz, uh, originally from Los Angeles, now living in the D.C. area. I think we've made so much progress in this country when it comes to race, but we'll never be all we can be as a country until we grapple with the history of codified racism and bigotry and um, how they have these little persistent tendrils that still affect us today. Um, yes, those tendrils affect even good people who have never owned other human beings, or who have never been enslaved. When it comes to race, we can do better, and we all have to take it upon ourselves to do our own internal work. And that work, it ain't for the lazy. My name is Kevin Stanfield. I'm a black man, born and raised in Washington, D.C. I think that the fact that I grew up in a predominantly black environment helped to give me a, a firm foundation that enabled me to deal with the world the way it is. And um, all I want out of society is, I want people to hear what I'm saying as loudly as they see the color of my skin. Hi, my name is Vanessa Cardenas. 
and I am a first-generation American. Um, my family is originally from Bolivia, South America, and I live in Fairfax, Virginia. Well, I had hoped that we would get a clear mandate from Americans that Trump needed to go. Sadly, we haven't gotten that so far, and that's very disappointing. It shouldn't be this close. Um, we should have gotten a clear answer last night. And as I said earlier, as a first-generation American, this is disappointing and hurtful. Trump is not fit to be president, but I guess that doesn't matter for folks who believe in what in the lies that he says. However, in spite of that, I am hopeful. I'm hopeful, for example, for the people who voted for Biden in Arizona, turning a very red state blue. I'm hopeful for the millions of Latinos who have voted. I am sure that we will break records of turnout. I am hopeful for young people um, who believe in social justice and are organizing for racial justice, for economic justice, for immigrants, for action on climate change, and on and on. That's where my bet is. But today, I'm reminding my kids that we have to keep the faith and that this is our country too. My name is Sakina Abbas. I'm Pakistani Muslim and I'm from Springfield, Virginia. And I think racism in America is an uncomfortable conversation, but the fact that it's real and happening in our society is should be enough reason for the conversation to be happening. My name is Hagar Shamali and I'm from Connecticut. I'm American Lebanese, and because of the experiences my parents had during the civil war in Lebanon, they told me every day how lucky I was to be born in the United States. I love this country, which is why I'm so heartbroken at how endemic and horrific racism is here. I don't know how we eradicate it. I only believe that if racism can be eliminated anywhere, it should be here. I may be an optimist, but I see a real shift in the conversations on racism today. They seem more open, real, and deep, and more people seem willing to learn. And so with a lot of work, I genuinely believe we'll get to a point where racism becomes a thing of the past. Hello, my name is Susan Terrell, and I'm a white cisgender woman living in Northeast Pennsylvania. I've spent over a decade trying to keep my whiteness and the privilege that results from it at the forefront of my thinking and actions. And even after all this time, I find it hard to do. I also find it hard to find other white people to help me keep this at the forefront so that my actions are anti-racist and don't inadvertently slip back into privilege. I ultimately think that racism is a white person's problem to solve. My name is Gretchen Soren. I'm African-American and I live in Springfield Center, New York. My mother was an elementary school teacher and my younger brother had an innate ability to draw. And I remember in the 1960s, my mother got him to draw the faces of famous African-Americans, Ida B. Wells, George Washington Carver, Charles Drew, Thurgood Marshall. He drew their faces on cardboard and we colored them and cut them out and my mother used them during Black History Month at school to teach the kids in Newark, New Jersey about African-American history. 
I learned those stories too. And these were stories that I didn't learn at school. I didn't realize then that African-American history was American history. The United States that we live in today is a nation that we built together. Blacks and whites, Latinx people, immigrants. Black History Month is about expanding the American story to include all of the people who have made us who we are as a nation. And it's about understanding that the struggle of people of African descent for full equality in American society has pushed our country to live up to its stated ideals. And at times that's been tough. Democracies require vigilance and constant work. And those groups who keep civil rights and voting rights on the front burner help us to maintain our democracy. And I still have all those cardboard heads that my mother and brother made years ago. My name is Elena Fordy. I am Hispanic American and I live in Ashburn, Virginia. My story takes place five years ago in 2016 at the height of the presidential election. At the time, I was worried about the phrase, build the wall, a slogan coined by the Trump campaign in reference to border security between the US and Mexico. I thought about my mother, brother, and sister who immigrated from Panama in the 80s and became naturalized citizens. I was hurt by the idea that my mother's citizenship could be questioned because of her accent or appearance, even after 30 years of being an American citizen. A friend of mine was confused about my concern and innocently asked why my mother would ever have to worry if she hadn't committed a crime. That day, we went to a grocery store in Arlington, Virginia, where something unexpected happened. A white man approached us, accompanied by a female. He made a hand gesture, mimicking the shape of a gun, pointing it at my face, and said, BAM. We stood there in shock as they walked away, the woman profusely apologetic for the man's behavior. My friend wanted to go after him, but I stopped her. If this man was comfortable enough to pretend to shoot me in the head, I did not want to find out what he would do when provoked. After we left the store, I turned to my friend and said what happened back there is exactly why I'm worried and why everyone should be worried. I'm saddened to see the surge in racism that has taken place across America. What I find most heartbreaking is that the fear and discomfort I felt in that single moment is something that minorities struggle with every day. We have a responsibility to stand up for each other we need to stand against hate. My name is Michael Williams. I'm an African-American. I'm born and raised in Washington, D.C., and I currently live in Washington, working as a journalist for Voice of America and a number of other news outlets. My parents moved north from segregated South Carolina to escape the possibility of a lynch mob ending their lives for the most trivial of, trivial of reasons. It could have been anything. And they came north and they achieved their dreams. Uh, they sent their kids to high schools and colleges. Uh, I was the first African-American to go from kindergarten through 12th grade, a lifer at Sidwell Friends School. Um, my brothers and sisters have achieved wonderful things and raised wonderful families. And both of my parents lived great lives of service. My mother is a nurse and my father in the State Department and in the military. They are both in Arlington Cemetery, the nation's hall of fame, and I'm very proud of that fact. But when I look at a lynch mob that they escaped in South Carolina, 
particularly coming to Washington, D.C. and overtaking the Capitol, it chills me to the bone. And they're not alive to see it, but I know that they would have wanted to stand their ground and fight for it. And I hope that that is what happens um, in the future. The thing that gives me hope is that my son is half African-American, half Austrian. And on one side of his lineage, just two generations away, are Nazis. And on the other side are sharecroppers and slaves. But that boy is, that man, that young man, is one of the nicest people, the smartest, most heartfelt, loving, intelligent people you'll ever want to meet. And I know that if the descendant of Nazis and slaves can turn out that well, there must be hope for us all. My name is Cortland Cox. My, I am African-American. I was born in New York and lived most of my life in Washington, D.C. The question of race means to me that we need as human beings to be able to fulfill what has been talked about in the Declaration of Independence, where every person is, uh, has the right to write life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that any obstacle that comes into that, any, any obstacle that is made in terms of trying to block us from doing that needs to be eliminated. So my life's journey has been to talk about and to see how we can, to everyone, not whether you're black or whether you're Hispanic or whether you're gay or whether you're transgender or whether you're a woman, to make sure that all people have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, my name is Thetford Collins. I'm African-American. I grew up in South Arkansas. I now live in Washington, D.C. Uh, and I think that black history is important for a variety of reasons. Uh, I guess the best reason for me, though, is it that it helps give everybody in America an opportunity to know the full story of America. Uh, growing up in the South, the history that I got did not include anything about Black Americans and the contributions that Black Americans made. And there are a number of uh, contributions that Black Americans made to uh, to this country that people just don't know about. Uh, for example, the way we ex extract blood for blood plasma was done by a Black man whose name is Dr. Charles Drew. Um, the many uses that we have for the peanut uh, were all uh, done by a black man named George Washington Carver, who gave us that first inst instance of what we could do with the peanut. So, you know, it's important that people know that black Americans have made significant contributions uh, to America, that they have an opportunity to know that uh, black Americans are a contributing part of America and have been since its founding. And I think that's the most important part of black history for me. Um, when you think about all of the things that we know about uh, the Anglo-Saxons in our country and how little we know about the contributions of black Americans who came here uh, in bondage, but who have, as a result of having been given some opportunity or having fought for some opportunity, uh, have made significant contributions. And that's the importance of black history to me. My name is Katie Musselman. I am a Korean adoptee who was raised and currently live in Harleysville, Pennsylvania, a suburb of Philadelphia. I grew up in a white family in a very white community. 
I have two sisters, but I was the only one who was adopted. While I didn't have many issues with this growing up, recently, I allowed myself to recognize that both of my sisters married racist men. This is sad and disorienting, and has led me to really question what my sisters thought of me and the true nature of our relationships. It bewilders me as to how two women raised with a sister of a different ethnicity could marry spouses who harbor hate for other races, and it dredges up all sorts of doubts for me about family relationships. Additionally, my husband and I have three children, two biological and one adopted son who is black. This just heightens the feelings and tension. Of course, we do not want to expose them to racism, especially from their family. This family dynamic has pushed my husband and I to discuss our priorities and values in a way that hits closer to home than I ever could have imagined. My name is Sara Kamali. I'm a first-generation American whose parents were born in Afghanistan. I'm currently on Chumash land in California. Race is a socio-political construct that has been wielded as a tool of oppression and power. The term I prefer for race is skin color, and the term I use instead of racism is skin color oppression, because both of these terms point to the fact that superficial differences are exploited when discussing race and racism. In the United States, the notion that the white race is inherently biologically and culturally superior has justified centuries of denying human beings the same dignity, rights, and opportunities of their white counterparts. Examples include the enslavement of black people and the genocide of indigenous Americans to the xenophobic violence targeting many communities of color, including Asians, Latinos, and religious communities like Jews, Muslims, and Sikhs. This is despite the fact that whiteness itself is a fluid category that has changed over time. Race, or the categorizing of people by physical features like skin color, is also the underlying foundation of white supremacy, which is justified by a pseudoscience called eugenics, which really came to the fore in the 1800s. The false concept of race and the pseudoscience of eugenics have both been leveraged by white nationalists in Europe, Australasia, and North America, particularly the United States, to demand a white ethno-state oftentimes through terror. Ultimately, the concept of race is a fallacy because we are all one race, the human race. That's what our listeners have to say about their own lived experiences, thoughts, and memories. And as we were putting this together, I wondered what it meant, the significance of it. One thing came to mind. This is a true representation of a dialogue on race in America. And each one is just as valuable as the next. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. A look at The Black Athlete Revolt, a new book by Sean Anderson, a professor at Loyola Marymount University. You know, we're talking about highly visible athletes uh, for the first time ever. Uh, being informed, right? They're partnering with social justice organizations. They're looking at uh, community leaders. 
and really trying to understand the issues that are going on. Um, you're talking about now also, we are moving from the sense of protests, which protests are always needed, right? When it comes to social crises, but we're now engaging in conversations of policy reform. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. That's it for another show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thanks to Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic and Offshane for the music. And of course, I always encourage you to keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.